11 episodes ago, Jeff and Lida synced up with 11th place in Tokyo. Libby and TJ missed the train to Survivesville and were Nagano in 10th place. Harley and Jonathan were new kids on the chopping block and were eliminated in 9th place in Bangkok. All Bergen and Kurt heard when they rang up to ask about how to drive a manual car in Munich was an engaged tone, leaving them in 8th place. Jeff and Bracky got lost in 7th place in France. Ali and Steve popped out in Namibia. Matt and Ashley's hopes of a win came crashing down, just like their potatoes in Peru. And Mike and Rochelle guessed out in Dallas earlier in this episode. Welcome to the final Amazing Race 26 recap episode of the UR Team Number podcast. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me is the Canadian who, unlike Phil Kogan, can count to nine, Logan Saunders. Afternoon. And the Australian who'll be back for season 27 as long as he promises not to yell as much, Ben Powell. <laughs> Howdy. You can tweet us using the hashtag Yattencast or email us at yattencast at gmail.com. After nine countries, five continents, and nearly 35,000 miles, we have our winners, Team Human Unicorn and Funky Kong, Lauren Tyler. Are you pleased? No. Yes. For starters, for starters Lauren doesn't act like a unicorn at all. She's like, not a unicorn. She's like, she's like the anti-unicorn. She's a, gr- she's a grump. <laughs> she's like a pentacorn. Hello, Bo. No one will get that reference unless you've heard Bo Burnham. <laughs> Who? What? The one week that Logan abandons Lauren Tyler as his uh, picks a win. They win. I've only Lauren had had that same luck. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that, especially after last week, we were not expecting Lauren Tyler to win. That was a completely left-field choice, and whilst I'm going to be reasonable towards the season, what was that editing? For want of a better term. The whole point of an edit is to make your winners look sympathetic. That is not the way to do it, guys. General reaction is that, from the viewers in general, I think, especially reading through the comments online, that there wasn't too many people who seemed particularly unhappy with them winning, though. And, like, you know, it is, like, 2015, and, you know, we're used to going through the motions of reality television edits, but... You know, you don't always have to have the edit of the winner be sympathetic or, like, make them out to be perfect. Like, David Connor, Freddie and Kaker Kendra. I'm talking about, like, recent, like, Tony. Yeah, but Tony had his sympathetic moments. Tony was a, at least a funny villain. Who's Tony? Tony, was, Tony was, Tony's a, was a wild, insane mess. Tony Vlachos, to quote Wu on his video. Tony was fun. Lauren Tyler was just kind of bitchy. Yeah, but, like, you know, fun is, yeah, subjective. Like, basically, the, the point I'm, I'm trying to get is that, you know... Sometimes winners have flaws. They don't have to be, like, perfect and get a perfect edit and, like, you know... I mean, I guess that's the, that was the foundation of our reason that, that we thought Blair and Haley would win, but still. Yeah, especially when half of the teams going into the finale had a traditional winner-style awesome edit in Blair and Haley and Mike and Rowe. And, yeah, Lauren Tyler were probably our least likely to win last week. So it just it just didn't sit well with me. It's not just because the edit, because I just think they're smart. I just think they're, they're boring. They were the worst option for a blind date team to win, I think. And when they and then when I tried not to be boring, they were just obnoxious. I mean, the, I mean, I mean, the minor fury surrounding the whole potato spitting thing was hilarious. But apart from that, I'm, <laughs> apart from that, I doubt anyone's gonna actually remember their names in a year from now. I was so disappointed that they weren't eliminated in fourth place, so I couldn't do a spitting reference in the intro. I wish that each of them would spit on their half a million dollar checks when it's presented to them after the season is over. On the early show, by Julie Chen. Yeah, they spit on the checks on the early show with Harry and, I don't know, Julie Chen and whoever the heck the hosts are now, and just be like, oh, we, we spit on your checks. So, previously, six dating couples squared off against ten singles for the most extreme blind dates ever. The blind dates felt sparks and heartbreak throughout the race. After epic highs and crushing lows, love conquered all. Oh, this intro was terrible. After 11 legs, seven teams were eliminated. Blair and Haley got off to an awkward start, but learned to work together and dominated the last two legs. Mike and Rowe had a goal and the race tested them, especially when they thought they were waving in goodbye in leg 11. But it was a twist that kept them safe. Jaylon and Jenny won early, but had issues to work out through the middle part of this season. They were almost permanently in the friend zone, but their friendship pushed them into the final leg. And Lauren Tyler started with positive first impressions, and they quickly bonded over their hatred of other teams. After they struggled in Germany, they apparently became a force to be reckoned with. Even though they run roughly the same number of legs as uh, everybody else in the final four. Yeah, with the exception of Mike and Rowe, obviously, but, you know, we love Mike and Rowe, we don't care. And teams, as we found out at the end of last leg, must now fly to Dallas and find the AT&T Stadium to find their next clue. Caution, sometime during this leg, Phil will be eliminating one team. And everyone was on the same flight at 10.10pm. 10, 
It's a final four. It, it was just hilarious to see teams be so shocked that's the final four and then they go home and the audience is probably just going to make fun of them because it's like, oh, didn't you guys see the Masonry's 25 finale? Why are you guys so stupid and not think that it's a final four? But yet somehow didn't, uh, who was it? Was it Tyler that predicted that there'd probably be four at the end? Yeah. Because if he predicted that, that was uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, Tyler predicted it. I think mostly he predicted it because of the whole keep on racing thing. That's sort of a giveaway. Like it probably wasn't a giveaway last season, but this this season, like I think that's why they they hit it until Mike and Michelle got to keep on racing from the audience. Yeah, yeah, and then like and then I'm guessing like I'm guessing last season they guessed to be a final four as well because they had to keep on racing. But this season I think they put together that they're keeping on racing, so it is a final four. Unless it's Amazing Race Latino America, you can pretty much guarantee that a keep on racing leg will be a non-elimination. I think Latino America is the only one where it's keep on racing, but the last team will get eliminated. And did you notice that Jelani told everyone to expect the unexpected? Are you saying he has a career as Jelani Chen for uh, Big Brother 17? I was under the impression that Mike was the only one who wanted to go on Big Brother. Fact. Mike actually applied for Big Brother and they saw the casting tapes and went, Have you got anyone you want to race with on uh, Amazing Race? Because we might cast you. So, at the AT&T Stadium, the roadblock was Who Wants to Score?, Jackie. <laughs> you were just waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I, I, I'm, I'm coming out full force today. And in this roadblock, one team member must dress in a Dallas Cowboys uniform, grab their playbook from 300 foot up in the air, which is entirely pointless, catch a pass, and then kick a field goal to receive the next claim. It was cool, though. It wasn't entirely pointless. Yeah, but what is the point of having them get a playbook? I don't understand it. Why not a playbook? What would you it prefer just, it be in its place, Michael? It has had the instructions of what, what they're going to do for the rest of the task. Yeah, basically give them a reverse bungee up 300 foot in the air for some reason. And it was Mike, Jelani, Tyler and Blair doing the roadblock. And they really went full force on this roadblock with the special effects. The jumbotron and the fake crowd noise that they created and the whole booming effect, it was... If you were an American football fan, I guess that would be a very uh, neat thing to do. America! We're all American football fans in here, aren't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the perfect podcast to discuss our favorite NFL teams. Like, especially my favorite NFL player who is, um, um, <laughs> uh, you guys want to help me out here? <laughs> no. No. Yeah, given that my entire experience with American sports was the Boston Bruins bribing me to support them with cake. Yeah, I'm not the best. I'm not the most qualified to speak about this. And yes, I know they're ice hockey before anyone says it. And yeah, Ben's from Australia. I don't even follow the football here. (laughs) I mean, my one experience of American sport is just being bribed with cake, which is perfectly appropriate, I suppose. And if any teams want to send me cake in exchange for my loyalty, I'm fine with that. But yeah, we can't really go into American football because none of us care that much. I must point out, though, that here in Canada that when it's Super Bowl night, there is a ton of crazy NFL fans, just even people that I know personally, like my siblings and my brother-in-law, that a lot of stores that have, that a lot of stores in town will just be emptied when the Super Bowl is on. And my one experience of Canadian football is body break flipping off Holly and Brett. Yeah, good old CFL. That was the biggest highlight in the history of Canadian, in the Canadian Football League. Also something I have zero interest in because they have about one-tenth the skill of NFL players. Viewers, if you haven't gotten by far, we are not sports people. Well, MMA. I watch MMA a lot. I would do it. We are not MMA real. Sport. We are not real sports people. Logan's main sport is running. My main sport at the moment is editing this sodding podcast. My main sport is World of Warcraft. Oh, and video games. Video games are now technically a sport. Nintendo eSports. Yes, I will be working on becoming competitive at Splatoon in two weeks' time. Yes! When I don't have one of these podcasts to do, so I'll be just spending the evening playing Splatoon. It's going to be awesome. Meanwhile, I play real games. Like Portal, which Logan still needs to play. I am not a PC gamer. I haven't played a PC game in about 12 years. It's on PS3 and uh, Xbox 360, I think, yeah. And also Portal is well worth getting into PC gaming for. Yeah. As Ben will attest, my Steam library is basically just Portal and Grand Theft Auto. And nothing else. Anyway, has this got, has this got like, sideline very fast, isn't it? Speaking of sidelines, Phil is on the sidelines for this roadblock, right on the hey, field. Phil. Ready to report. I like that they did two on-location reports for Phil. 
they weren't content with just letting him show it once. That filming schedule must have been a nightmare, though. Like, you know, get get full into the thing. They has to has to like run, and I, I'm assuming like get helicopter down to the route info, and then get helicopter down to the the final roadblock task, and then to the finish line as well. Meanwhile, you have to actually film the whole the lot, the first thing to check in here will win one million dollars. That bit you have to film that with Mark and Michelle. So there's a very there's a very very tight schedule there. I'm imagining. Do you think that the return of taxis for this entire final leg was purely because of Brooke and Robbie getting so lost last final leg? I'm assuming so, yes. And I'm also assuming that they actually, um, they keep like, they got the, tux- they got the taxis at the airport, right? Because, um, minus four is for Logan at least. At the end of, uh, season 17, the, the taxis they got after some of the tasks that they, they were brought to the next task with, they were like taxis that were specifically chosen because the drivers are not very good at English. Is that actually true? Because that doesn't surprise me, but that's awesome. Well, in the same way that the Illuminati exists, but it's just my conspiracy theory, but, you know, it would make sense to, like, challenge the races to get to make it through with a taxi that doesn't really speak English. Even on, even on the home front, they can't escape it. And on that subject, Susan Mitchell had a question. She said, is there a specific number of cabs placed at a specific location for a specific challenge, or how does that work? In this season, I can't imagine it because it's, it's actually, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, you know, they can't, they can't really, like, um... Unless there was some, you know, um, herding we didn't see whether they were forced into a, into a certain cab rank with certain cabs waiting. I can't see them organising that. And also, we got the question a couple of times, uh, why do CBS insist on taxis in the final leg, especially on the way to the finish line? And I'm going to let Logan go on this one. Uh, pretty much what was said in the interview we did with Joe and Bill, that it's just a huge safety issue to let teams be in control of vehicles on the way to the finish line for a million dollars, so... Not only are you protecting the racers and the production crew inside their vehicle, but probably the locals and pedestrians who uh, probably want to vo- avoid uh, somebody uh, driving on their way to a million bucks. And on the subject of that interview, it is still available at yankcast.wordpress.com. So it's Tyler who is the first to catch a pass. And, and Mike, spike it. And spike it, yep. And Mike is second. Blair's the third to catch and Jelani in last. And Jenny was quite vocal during this task as well. I don't know if well, it's because the stadium was that loud with all the sound effects or if she was just getting that intense with wanting to win this final leg. Or both. Yeah, she was basically double rainbow intense. How recent. <laughs> Listen, I made references to it for five seasons on the chart where they introduced double express pass and I was doing the current uh, results thread <laughs> on yet. What? So. Did you just make up words? I don't understand a word of that. <laughs> yeah, you know how I keep updating the note on the UR Team Facebook group with the results of each leg? Every single yeah. time they introduce Double Express Pass, I did do a reference to that video. Double Express okay. Pass so intense. How, how, how long are they doing the Double Express Pass for? Uh, it was season 22, but we also had it for Australia as well, and Canada. So it's about five or six seasons that I did it for. Thankfully, we didn't have it this season because, you know, Double Express Pass, boo. Or last season, they avoided that as well. Yeah, they had the save instead, which is basically the Tyler Perry idol. And Laura and Tyler are the first to leave the challenge. Ooh. Blair and Haley in second, Mike and Rowe in third, and Jelani and Jenny in last. And an intention- unintentional equalizer outside the stadium. It didn't really matter who finished when because Laura, Tyler and Laura's taxi didn't even know where to go, and then Haley and Blair's taxi was slow to get out of the state AT&T stadium as well, so everyone just caught up to each other. And Mike and Rose taxi didn't exist. Do you know what would be funny? If uh, Haley and Blair, like, you know, Laura and Tara would depend on Haley and Blair to leave, and if they continued be so, it would have been, like, funny if Haley and Blair just waited for both Mike, Rochelle, and Jelani and Jenny to, you know, get, um, to both leave, and then just follow them and basically eliminate Laura and Tyler in a foot race. I was thinking that, but then that also runs the risk of there being another challenge before the elimination, and Laura and Tyler being able to beast it. Mm, yeah, I guess so. Like, if that if if this was like a, a, a twist they'd seen before, and they knew that you know there'd be a task, then the next then the next route marker would be the elimination, like like what happened last season. I'm guessing that Haley and Blair might have taken the risk and like to do something like that. Then again, it's Haley and Blair, so maybe not. And after the AT and T Stadium, teams must now head to the P two Ranch to find their next clue. Or if you're Mike Rochelle, the main road to find your next taxi. And then the complete opposite direction to find petrol. And it was an active route info. 
which is join a Texan cattle drive and corral at least six Longhorn to receive the next clue. Or, if you're Mike and Rochelle, meet Phil and get eliminated. That was a really early elimination point for the finale. That was only a third of the way into everything that they did in Dallas. Like, if they if it was a midway elimination point, it would have been right when they just show up at the reunion tower. That's where the that's where the elimination point would have been if it was exactly halfway in the leg. Having said that, last season it was go to the city hall, get your permit stamped, then go to the roadblock location, and that's where Brook and Robbie got eliminated. So it's actually about the same place as it was last year. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah, we had two tasks after Brook and Robbie got eliminated. Or three tasks, actually, including the roadblock. And Tyler thought that his cowgirl was hot. With the most uh, over-animated thumbs-up in uh, quite a while. Well, Tyler likes a thumbs-up, as we proved in Monaco and France. Indeed. And Jenny decided to add a bit of interest to the task and make it a rodeo. Sort of like with Joyce. It was almost, it was a very Joyce-like moment for uh, Jenny on the horse. That horse just too wild. It was Blair and Haley leaving in first, with Jaylani and Jenny in second, and Laura and Tyler in third. And the castle were all rounded up by that point, so Mike and Roe were last and eliminated. And teams must now head to the reunion tower to find the next clue. I think with Mike and Rochelle that, after the whole zebra incident, that Mike and Rochelle not having to do the horse task probably saved them a lot of pain and and, uh, misery, I think. And Rochelle not having to do the repel task, or the abseil task, is also probably saving them. That is true. They pro- it, was pro- it was probably for the best that they uh, didn't get to uh, do those two tasks. And this uh, task at the reunion tower is who has a sharp eye. And in this roadblock, the team member who didn't do the first roadblock must climb the tower and look for their next clue whilst abseiling down. They must then go to the place that they spotted, and if they're correct, they'll find their next clue. And if they're not, they will find a parking garage. And it's Haley, Jenny, and Laura doing the roadblock. And Haley completely missed the clue. Do you think that production deliberately painted a pole red and yellow just to wind them up? Was it painted red and yellow, though? I thought it was just red. Yeah, I think, I think Laura and Tyler said that it was painted red and yellow. I'm not sure if it was deliberate. I just think it was a bit unfortunate for her. It'd be funny if producers did that. Just plant a flag at every, uh, everywhere around in, like, five or six different locations. Yeah, just spend a couple thousand dollars to get permission, just paint graffiti and red and yellow graffiti on a bunch of buildings to be like, okay, let's try and screw up the teams as much as much as possible here. What would have been even funnier is if they would have planted flags at the P2 ranch. Just make them go back to the ranch just to confuse the hell out of them. Yeah, so they think they have to go back to the ranch. Tyler completely bitched about Blair and Haley being in the lead, and his prayers were answered when she completely missed the clue, and Laura and Jenny both didn't. You know what was weird is we're, they were they know that the finish line is probably only what an hour and a half or two hours away at this point, and it was very odd to see two teams make an alliance to uh, try and like try to win together where they were happy if either of them won at that point just for stopping another team from potentially winning. You never really see that in any other season. Like I know somebody's going to bring up like oh you know Luke and uh, Jamie and Caro worked together on the surfboards in the Amazing Race 14, but it didn't really matter in that situation because both those teams were so far behind Tammy and Victor that they knew it didn't really matter. But in this situation, it's a really close call to where, you know, one of those two teams could still very well win this thing, so it was very odd to see them uh, keep up an alliance this late in the race. And once they followed the flags, it was another active route info, which was test your memory at the end of the bog pit, test your driving skills to get there, and teams must drive a monster truck through a course and then unlock a tool shed by matching four locations to their leg numbers. They must match the selfies in the chest to the route that they took to receive their final clue. I was amazed with how much Jenny wanted to beat Haley and Blair to the point that she pretty much just cursed and was getting all angry about it, angrier than... Tyler had been all season long. Yeah, I I don't particularly understand where the hate for Blair and Haley came from. It's probably the same intensity that Jenny had from yelling at Jelani at the football stadium, so maybe she was just really wound up all day long where she really was in uh, Hulk mode. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where that hate came from, but I'm sure we'll get the opportunity to find out fairly soon. <laughs> I'm being so unsubtle today, it's fun. <laughs> 
And the four locations that they've got to match up to unlock their tool shed are the Bukhandlung in Namibia, uh, Bansalanka in Thailand, the Muntoran in Amsterdam, and Kandamyojin in Tokyo. And it was Jaylani and Jenny having their tool shed open first. Which was good. Yep, it was. It gave me false hope. Uh, I didn't really think that Jelani and Jenny had a chance at this point, considering how little they'd been shown in that fill really gave them no sort of uh, overall uh, narration of what they had done up to that point in the race. They were very Jeremy. They were in a very Jeremy and Sandy-like position in the finale. But it was all for nothing, because Laura and Tyler were the first to leave the task. What did you think of the whole concept of, like, ordering your selfies? It's a relic from when they were trying to push the selfies and the dating aspects of the season. I liked it, though. Like, it was, um, you know, it was as, as well as being fairly difficult, it was just, like, a nice, you know, reminder of what they've been through together. So it was, like, it, felt, it went into the theme of the season, as well as being a pretty creative task. I liked that it was basically teams controlling their own fate and that they took all the selfies. So if they took terrible selfies and CBS chose those ones, then they were screwed. Was, how, would that have been all their selfies? Yeah. I think they they were probably told by production to take a couple of selfies or like get some memories and then, you know, psych! It's actually the final memory challenge. And I think if it was done as of the production of After Leg 5, I don't think they would have included the selfies. I think they would have come up with something else. I liked it anyway. Like, I, I'm not, I wasn't fond of, like, forcing the selfies down our throat for the first four legs, but, you know, just to, just to have it as, and at the end as a reminder of what they've been through, that was a very good way to tie the whole season together. I found it funny with just how unexpected it was to have that as a final task as well, to just to know that the, there was a point to the selfies. It wasn't just some pointless thing to do for the, first half of the season that they scrapped just because the audience hated it. It was a genuine idea they wanted to take through all the way to the end because after 26 seasons, you're probably going to be running out of ideas to uh, try and surprise contestants as to what the final memory challenge will be. I think it was pretty funny that everyone guessed it sarcastically. They were like, oh, wouldn't it be great if the selfies were the final memory challenge? (laughs) Yeah, they are. So well done to you. And the finish line is the Continental Avenue Bridge. This is it. Go, go, go. Which Why did we really know Big Don the Judge? I don't think he cared for the selfies all that much. I have a feeling there was, uh, there was a judge off the sidelines telling him whether or not the team was right. Yeah, I think so too. And above everything else, we need to remember that Laura can't even. She can't even. She was running to the finish line, and she can't even. It's a genuine condition, guys. It's an affliction. Either way, the you know they actually put they did the whole um, who's going to come first, Jelani and, Gen- Jelani and Jenny or Laura and Tyler thing. And you know, for once, I was I was hoping that the the team that actually edited in second would actually come first. Well, for once in recent memory, at least. I mean, there's plenty of other times throughout history where I would have preferred the second place team to win over the first place team. But yeah, I'm gonna think Carolina Jennifer. Uh, I, I just wanted that whole season to die. So, <laughs> except Brendan, except Brendan and Rachel, because I like I I do like them. And the Afghanimals. What else is there? Oh yeah, the first actual All Stars. Obviously, I think anyone would have supported Dustin and Candice or Charlotte and Mina over Eric and Danielle. I oh, think it makes pretty sense. I really wanted Rob and Kim to uh, be Tyler and James. You know, Rob and Kim were just huge. Fan favorites from start to finish. The team I wanted to win uh, season ten was stuck in France, so I think we all agree on that. And Phil also said eight countries. Still, Phil is wrong. It was nine countries. Protest. Yep. <laughs> Race invalid. I tweeted him before the podcast that he was wrong. He can't count to nine. Well, how long ago was it? Like December? I'm sure he's realized his mistake by now. Yeah, but they said it in the pre-race materials as well. CBS actually said. Eight countries, five continents. And then I counted it halfway through the season, and it was nine. Phil has lost a lot of sleep since he made that mistake back in December. I'm sure he's been turning in his grave. No, not grave. What am I talking about? (laughs) Yes, he has a stunt double now. (laughs) Ben Powell killing off Phil Kogan. (laughs) That's That's why he doesn't wear turtlenecks anymore. There's so many ways to go with that. So, yeah... Laura and Tyler were the official winners of the Amazing Race. Yay! With that obnoxious video selfie running into the running into the pit stop. Like I'm, I would be a fan of any other team did it, but like them doing it, they just made it the most obnoxious way possible. 
The best thing about that though was lo- uh, was Tyler's hat falling off halfway through. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> and it completely not being mentioned again. Someone needs to go back to the bridge and find Tyler's hat. Save Tyler's hat. And spit on it. Yeah, and spit on it. And fill it with potatoes. And Jelani and Jenny were in second place. And by the look of things, quite a way back in third were Blair and Haley. Buckle up, Blair. Buckle up. <laughs> I love how we just got one last shot of Haley shouting, Buckle up, Blair. Yes, and uh, yes, Haley really uh, playing the role of Miss Frizzle, of making sure everybody's got their seatbelts on inside the vehicle. Miss Frizzle. <laughs> Phil was really, really hammering the dating angle. Yes, uh, he still isn't quite giving up on it, even today. I understand that that was the aim of the season, but if they really had changed with the edit, they probably could have not put in that bit. Are you guys dating? Are you guys dating? You guys are dating, right? What do you mean you're not dating? Come on, guys, seriously, we're going to have to go to Jeff and Bracky if you don't answer yes. And Lord knows we don't want to give them another VT, where they can make coy references about them boning at Elimination Station. Uh. And I quote, they got to know each other on a deeper level. Yeah, they did. And the season finished with a beautiful, heartfelt quote from Blair and Haley. I would do this race again with Haley, as long as she promised not to yell so much. Ah, this season in a nutshell. Blair, Blair spent a lot in that piggyback. I'm surprised that both of them weren't extremely dizzy. Eagle! That's the one note I have about the finish, is dizzying piggyback rides. I- I contribute a lot to this podcast. You contribute as much as you normally do, Logan. So, what can we say about this season as a whole, dare I ask? It was better than it could have been. It was better than we thought it was going to be, but God, this finale let it down. The result of the finale let it down. The actual finale was decent, but ugh. I like the structure of the leg, how, you know, how recently the, the Amazing Race has been going back to, like, stereotypical things to see in each country, and this leg it was Cowboys, Texas, football, yeah, 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 football! As Phil said before the episode on Friday, we're going big in Texas. And I'll let them off purely because it's not a New York finale and it's not an LA finale. We actually got to see another state for once. The actual casting of the season wasn't the best we've ever seen. Well, there's only so much CBS can do when there's, like, you know, 11 dating teams. Although I'm guessing it was, you know, 10 singles, 5 dating teams, and 1 dating team that's, that is obviously going to propose propose somewhere in the race. You mean Kurt and Bergen? Apparently that was a joke. What? Do you mean we're not the only ones that, you know, create Amazing Race hoaxes? Kurt and Bergen are capable of doing that as well? Somebody's stomping on our territory here. We have never created an Amazing Race hoax. How dare you? <laughs> yes. But, yeah... Bergen and Kurt, they obviously matched up because they thought we need a gay team and we don't really care if they're compatible. Which is a bit unfortunate, really. Let's make them look the same as well because every other team every other team looks the same, you know. Look at the stark similarities between Laura and Tyler. At least we got the new meme favourites, Jeff and Lyda. They always show that same clip over and over again. It's the only clip we ever see from Jeff and Lyda, even dating back to the Amazing Race 25 finale. We're not going to give up. We're not going to give up hope. Which I'm sure will keep appearing on Logan's blog. In the same way that Margie Adams does occasionally. Started uh, with finishing. Started with finishing. <laughs> oh, she hates us. Oh, yeah, she will. Dermatologists hate us. Maybe Lida can be the next racer to call you an asshole, Logan. One day. Lofty Heights. When they get brought back with the Revival Pass. We'll say, though, that... Overall for this season, I think a good way to sum it up with the overall reaction to the audience and everything that we saw go down and editors switching over the edit like a third of the way into the season, I think it's just overall a season with a very mixed bag of reactions. Like, nobody is saying that it's the absolute best season, but from there on, there's just a whole range of opinions in terms of what we saw play out on TV over the past three months. I think our discussion about sort of mid-teen season is a good one from last week. It's not the best it's, that we've ever seen, it's not the worst we've ever seen, but it's just kind of a yeah. it's a season that, that I think will be forgotten. Probably. If you had to if you had, if you had to rank like the seasons that after, you know this might take a while, but like, if, you had, if you had to rank the seasons that appeared after Unfinished Business how would this hold up? See, I'm weird I don't particularly like 20, I don't particularly like 21, don't particularly like 22 23 was alright 24 was the dire pits of hell. 25 was awesome. 19 was a season two. 19 was probably the epitome of the least memorable 
season probably to ever air. And I, I actually was going this over my head like if if I had to rank the twenty five winners of Amazing Race, and then uh, in terms of who in terms of most memorable to least memorable, and had to throw Tyler and Laura in there somewhere, I probably in terms of being memorable, I throw them near the bottom where a team like Ernie and Cindy would be. Or Tyler and James would be. I don't think that people are going to remember Tyler and Laura's win because they weren't big personalities at, at at all, and just the overall like like they just don't really dominate the edit too much. Sure, they were our narrators for the most part, and Tyler has his amusing moments, and they spat on potatoes, which made national headlines. But I just don't think there, anybody's really going to remember them, say, a year from now, just because of being like a stock friend-slash-dating couple team that we've seen all too often uh, as of late. Yeah, I think this season is... Ca- I think a good comparison would be 19, because it's kind of a, eh, season. This season, overall, I think is either like my like my top two or top three favourites since, since Unfinished Business. I know 25 is obviously the best, but I'm not. I'm not sure if um, you know, the quality of the seasons has been pretty low since then. Like, not particularly like dreadful. But you know, 24 was dreadful. But you know, apart from that, it's like 21 and 22 and 23 were sort of like I don't know, six out of ten, averaging a six out of ten. But like, um, 25 was an. I'd say like 25 would be like you know at least a nine out of ten. But like this season, I'm thinking it was like a seven or an eight out of ten, because like you know the as a race, the route wasn't you know mind-blowing and didn't and you know relied on all this dating couple stuff like you know but the route got better that's the thing the route started off in a 24 style uh we get two legs in each country but at least that's like the more interesting countries but then it kind of went awesome as soon as they hit europe hit germany france monaco then namibia it kind of sagged towards the end for me i think what was i think what the really essential season as as good to me was that was where the where the route and the races and legs had its shortcoming, the teams made up for that because they were all like very either highly entertaining or very likable, except for Lauren, Lauren Tyler. But we'll skip over them because, like you know, Haley and Blair, big characters. Jelani and Jenny, pretty good characters as well. Mike and Rochelle, love them, you know. And like you know, Libby and CJ were great early boots. Harley and Jonathan, Harley and Jonathan were like likable, even though they left really, even though they left really early. Ali and Ali and Steve, that's them, that's them, right? Yeah, Ali and Steve. Yeah, they like started out boring, but then they got really, they got really hilariously entertaining in Namibia. But yeah, I think my enjoyment of a season can hinge on a winner as well. If I'm satisfied with the winner, I will remember the season a bit better. Yeah, mo- yeah, mostly. But like, yeah, I, I agree with that. Like sometimes, a, sometimes a winner can ruin a season. Like, um, I can't even think of one off the top of my head, but you know. Sometimes the winner does ruin a season, but, like, only if the winner is terrible. Like, Laura and Tyler, if I had to, like, rank them against the pantheon of Amazing Race winners, that I put them, like, in the bottom 10 or something. Maybe bottom 20 or bottom 10 or something like that. But I wouldn't say they're, like, terrible. I'd just say they're, like, very... They're sort of unlikable and kind of not that good. If we compare it to 25, though, Amy and Maya winning 25 increased the season for me. Because oh, yeah. they are such a great winning pair. But and they're not an inspiration. Yeah, they're not inspirational. But Maya was just so good to, so entertaining a character, so enthusiastic, and probably the most enthu- enthusiastic racer since we've since Mallory that we've seen. And then and Amy, Amy, Amy was Amy, Amy was good too, because if only because it was just fun watching her like go through, um, you know, Hostel Part Four. Oh my god! I I looked to the screen caps of that again earlier. <laughs> that cut massage thing better be a switchback at some point soon. Because that was just maybe the best task that they have done in probably about 10 years. It was so good. Tall order. And that is big words. So, we have some uh, listener questions. And we're going to start with someone who Ben knows especially well. Michelle Pierce Denovan, the queen mm-hmm. of Yattencast. And also Ben's counterparts when he interviewed Kat and Jesse in March. Also available at yetincast.wordpress.com. I'm just plugging interviews. And she says, what are the pros and cons of having a final four team run to the finish as opposed to three? Also, why do you think that they did it this way? And I would say that it's to just keep things fresh. Especially last season, teams weren't expecting to see a final four. And it's sort of quite rote if you know there's a non-elimination in leg 10, that it's going to be an elimination in leg 11. So... It probably goes back to their point of always trying to keep teams racing for the pit stop. If a team in leg 11 knows that they're in last place, they probably aren't going to try that hard. The question is, 
now that this twist has been used twice and is out in the open, will they use it again next year? No, not I don't think so. They'll rest it for at least two, three seasons. I would love it if a team is absolutely so convinced that they think this Final Four twist is going to happen, so they sort of just, you know, just be really lazy in the penultimate round, and then Phil says, um, no, guys, you're you're eliminated. Um, stop being so presumptuous. Go home. Or maybe they should just evolve it into a Final Five twist. Do a Final Five and then have a double elimination at one of the root markers, just to annoy Phil. Austin Hardin says, who's worse, Haley and Blair or Jaylani and Jenny? The answer is Tyler and Laura. <laughs> I think it's it's real, it's interesting with Tyler and Laura because I think there is sort of like polarizing opinions on them because yeah they don't have big personalities but Tyler was besides the mild douchiness he did have like that source of comedy that I think people sort of relate to that very Judd Apatow style type type of comedy I think. Mm, with just his comments and jokes and stuff where I think people do relate to that with being the guy just in his early 30s and stuff but um, I know my thing on Haley and Blair and and to an extent Delaney and Johnny is like I know like you know you have you've if you've listened to both the Big Brother Canada and Amazing Race podcast you know that I went on that huge you know soapbox about the big character thing you know it seems a bit hypocritical for me to like condemn the, the concept of a quote big character unquote and then like you know be one of Haley's biggest supporters but you know the, the difference between like some sorts of the, the difference between some sort like one type of big character like you know quote big character unquote like you know Greg or just any like any of the, any of the assholes that appear in Big Brother UK but and the difference between like someone like Haley or Cass on Survivor or I don't know who's a, who's a big who's a big good who's a good character on um, a good big character on Survivor. Shireen, um, yeah, Shireen, or maybe even Sandra. Sandra, yeah. The difference between those types of characters, the assholes and the not assholes, is you know, like yes, Haley did have some questionable behavior that people did find annoying but the difference to me that that is like um you know like i i know we we all as human beings have different contexts and backgrounds all that stuff and we and we find different stuff objectionable and non-objectionable like but it's all just about like how how how, what um what you find objectionable and what you don't like you know nagging on a reality show is you know finding that annoying is a very to me it's a very ancient sort of you know, opinion to hold. Like, if you find nagging annoying, I, you know, I don't understand why you find nagging annoying because, you know, people, they do, they put personalities on the television show that do have sort of A-type, you know, strong personalities, want to lead, want to do things right. And, you know, as it goes, some of those are going to be the types that if they're put with another person and work with another person, they are going to be tight the nag. So, you know, it's been 15 years since, that, since like, the popularization of the reality television show so to be surprised that in an event or a show where they cast so many strong personalities, but like, and um, they still have people that nag, to be surprised by that and object to that seems like a very you know naive opinion to hold. So like you know if you go into a show knowing that there's someone who's going to nag and someone does nag, but they're not doing it in a way that's um you know objectionable or you know offensive to anyone, it's just sort of like Haley's is loud and loud and nags and tries to get her word across. It's like. Compared to someone like on Big Brother UK, how there's um, all these big characters are either like sexist or racist or homophobic, but the argument tr- still tries to stand behind them that well, they should be appreciated because they're big characters. You know that's not something I, that's not something I agree with. Or like Greg from Big Brother Canada, because like you know I I personally when I put my opinion for it, I've taken that stuff sort of stuff into account. Like um, I don't I don't you know. I don't give characters who are sexist or racist or homophobic their dues because that is objectionable behavior to me. But Haley nagging or Jenny nagging or nagging is not objectionable behavior to me because you know it's come to, you come to expect it when you watch reality shows. So to find Haley objectionable because she nags or because she's annoying, I think is a very naive point of view to have when considering you're watching a reality show where they put those kind of people on television. But I don't think. But this is 2015. They don't they don't go out of their way. Not many shows go out of their way to put sexist or racist or homophobic people on reality television, but they do put personalities at nag. So to expect, I you know, I expect the Haley's and I expect the Jennies to have those personalities that are strong and nag. But you know, 
people who have the objection, the personalized iPhone objectionable, I object to. And despite how much of a quote big character they are, I'm still going to I'm still going to rally against that. I would say that Big Brother is a different kettle of fish in terms of big characters. As we have discussed at length, you don't really need a big character as long as you have entertaining people. Whereas I think a Amazing Race season especially can live and die by whether everyone's a bit boring. Big Brother, as long as every, as long as people come to play and make big moves or entertaining moves, doesn't really matter whether their personality is entertaining. I would say that um, regardless of the cast or regardless of the format, if you took any of the casts that were cast on Big Brother around the world, Australia, UK, Canada, US, if you put, if you swap them around, that was. I think that this, regardless of the format, regardless of their worth at the at the format they're good at they would be just as they would be just they would like not change much because that's how they are as people and that's why they cast like you know i don't think i don't think that um gameplay should have much to do, gameplay should have much to do with a big brother season because you know kevin like you know kevin was you know ostensibly a good game player but you know an objectionable he, person yeah Mostly an objectionable person because, you know, he has that stuff where he doesn't, he, you know, has that very misogynistic view towards women and, you know, considers a lot of, pe- a lot of people like terrible players, even though, hello, you got eliminated with, you got eliminated with them. So you have no pedal still to be standing on there, Bucky. Is Logan still even awake? Can I just point out? Yes, I, I am, I'm present. I have a question for you guys because with Amazing Race, I mean, all the, all the hate online seems to be primarily for Jenny and Haley. And even Allie a few weeks back when she was yelling at Steve. So pretty much on Amazing Race, it's just the females that have been getting the hate this year. But on Survivor, it is just the males that have been uh, getting a lot of hate from the audience. So you think that there is two separate demographics that watch Survivor and Amazing Race? or Well, the Amazing Race is mostly conservative conservative audience, isn't it? Yes, that's the, that's the another thing I wrote down too is that that's been long, long documented that well up until recently when Amazing Race's ratings have declined that for a long time that the Amazing Race was the most popular show amongst uh, like Republicans and conservatives within the United States, not so but much like, for um, Survivor. But the, 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 dif- the difference the difference between them is like um, Rodney and Will and um, Dan have have betrayed like objectionable, really objectionable behavior. Like Rodney is a huge misogynist dan is like awful they're just all awful awful like you know not even in the not even in the like um in the casual Haley or jenny or ali sort of way where they're just like sort of sort of like you know annoying which is a you know subjective thing to begin with but like you know i don't want to i don't want to see people acting um treating women like that on reality shows even like you know will or rod dan and rodney are all like you know Dan and Dan and Rodney mostly just like heavily heavily sexist misogynistic, but like and Will just like the stuff he said to Shrin was out of line, completely out of line of any situation ever. Whereas Haley and Jenny and Haley and Jenny and Ali never had well Ali to an extent and Jenny still still to an extent never had that because you know it's a real it's a reality show they they cast pers- like I like I said like you know at least five times already they cast personalities that that are strong and want to lead and to find objection in that because they are strong personalities and want to lead and they're women is a very naive point of view and I heavily question why you're watching this show 15 years in if you think still think it's of oh, nice people nice people traveling around the world obviously the exit interviews haven't come out yet and by the time that this podcast is uploaded they will have come out but I highly doubt that either Jenny or Haley are gonna sit there with any interviewer and say I heard what you said on the podcast I think you're an asshole unless they're Greg I heard this round table that you did and frankly I'm going to have a go at the people who contributed to the round table because they have different opinions to me oh so much misandry yeah (laughs) if you watch Survivor and you have not heard anything with Dan's exit interviews from this week seriously look them up because he did have a go at a particular interviewer who held a roundtable a couple of weeks ago when all the Dan and Will and Rodney shit started coming up, and basically said, "I heard your podcast. What was your ne- what was that girl's name? Shandy? Yeah, she's horrible. She's wrong. Because I'm not misogynistic at all, and I'm definitely not aggressive. Because I'm shouting at you right now. He just yeah. proved everything that we thought of him. And that's the kind of that's the kind of character people should be upset about. And but like 
Instead, people go in the in the exact opposite direction and like consider him. Oh, he's such a big character. He's great. He made this so interesting. It's like no, no. How? What's like you know? Okay, like I've said it like five times already. Okay, you got airtime. That don't impress me much. At least, unlike with Amazing Race, where people are just baselessly having a go at Haley and Jenny, at least most of the fans are calling out Dan on his bullshit. In the week that Will shouted at Shireen that much, everyone in the Survivor community rallied around her. And that is a good thing to see, and wouldn't happen with Amazing Race. Anyway, questions. Judy Zimmerman said... Are the teams equipped with microphones on the race, or do the camera crews have really sensitive equipment that can pick up the conversation? I think they have. I think they have like black pack. I think they have pack microphones on every reality show. I've come to think of it. Yeah, and also they do travel with the cameraman and the sound guy. Mm. Yep, teams have gotten time credits because of low battery in their mic packs. And she also asks, "Can you speculate on where the eliminated teams were kept until the finale?" And I know the answer to this. I know where in the world. Where in the world was Elimination Station, Michael? It was Barcelona. Oh, nice. And Susan Mitchell says, I was curious, how involved is Phil Kogan in the making of Tar each season? Well, Isn't he, he pretty much he... just, like, he's there for casting for a good chunk of it. I think he meets, like, the semi semi-finalists and finalists for casting. And then pretty much just the Matt Chat and the filming for all the scenes that we see on the race. And I think that's... And then, of course, having to do all the social media obligations and press and uh, press tours and stuff, and I think that's about it for him. It's nowhere near as much as Jeff Probst's involvement with Survivor. It's somewhere between Jeff Probst and Julie Chen, where Julie Chen is just the host, and Jeff Probst is the executive producer and host and reunion host and all this stuff, all that stuff. I did like that during this Amazing Race episode, we did see an advert for Julie Chen returns in Big Brother. (sighs) Yeah, Uh... like as if Julie Chen's the star of Big Brother. (laughs) Like, I think... There, that's a very small percentage of the audience is watching for Julie Chen, waiting for her to make her verbal slip-ups on air when hosting yeah. challenges. Yeah, I'll agree with that, Logan, but first. <laughs> See, doing Julie Chen impressions doesn't work when we're not on video, guys. Because you have to do the the uh, the turn to a different camera as well. Stay with us. Mm. Eris is about a host anyway, so even in her first season, like you know, you need a ho- you need a host for your brother that's like you know connected with the show and has enthusiasm. You don't need a, you don't need someone who's reading off a teleprompter all the time, and it's pretty obvious they're reading off a teleprompter. And we will finish with our very own Michelle Pierce Denovan again, and she says, since the final three teams were all blind dates, do you think that that had a hand in how well they did? Did the familiarity of established couples create a roadblock in their race strategy compared to others? Nope, I disagree with all of that because even before the race started, we predicted that the blind date couples all looked like they were going to do really well. I think the only big surprise for this season is how early Allie and Steve went and then also how far Mike and Rochelle went. And then we thought that the other three like dating couple, blind date couples were probably going to make it either to the end or very close to it. And it's funny that you mentioned a particular team there, Logan. That would be Mike and Rochelle, because, fun fact, they're joining us next week. What? I did not know that. I know, we've, we've been sitting on this for like, what What date was it that she tweeted me? It was like middle of April, I think. Early, yeah, like oh, well over a month ago now. Yeah, it's probably about six, eight weeks ago, but yeah, Mike and Rochelle are going to be joining us for as long as we can keep them, basically, next Sunday. And by this point, the banner will be up with all the details on how to send in your questions, you can tweet us using the hashtag Yattencast, email us at yattencast at gmail.com, or alternatively, if you're a member of one of the three Facebook groups, you are team number, uh, the Amazing Race fans, or Amazing Race 24-7, then I'll be posting a thread on all three of those. And basically, as many questions as you can send in as physical as possible, we'll try and ask as many as we can, and we'll see where it goes from there. But... As far as I know, we are going to be the first full-length interview that they will be doing, because obviously they'll be doing exit interviews tomorrow, but as far as I know, no one will be sitting down for like an hour with them and asking as many questions as people want to know, which is awesome. So thank you to those guys for saying yes and volunteering as tribute, as I put it on Twitter. Yeah, we go from Joe and Bill from Season 1 to Mike and Rochelle from Season 26, so we're just jumping the timeline just a little bit in these uh, interviews of teams from the American Seasons. So, anything else to add before we close out this season and then open the old wounds next week with Mike and Michelle? Just an epic question. What do you think is going to happen 27? That was going to be my question, too. We're thinking along the same lines, Ben. That's why we're all on the same podcast.
I think, honestly, we're going to get a normal people season next year, or next season. And then I think, what I think they'll do is do every other season have a gimmick. So I think we might get an all-stranger season fairly soon, which would be awesome because it's something I've been plugging for. I must say that according to Phil Kogan's Twitter where he was asking for people for what they wanted for season 27, there was still a lot of painful tweets of people wanting fan fan favorites for next season and Phil Kogan proceeded to favorite those tweets. So Hell no. Hopefully that's not the case, but Hell it wouldn't surprise no. me given the number of special themes we've had lately because Amazing Race 23 is the last season to air that didn't have some sort of gimmicky theme. Hell no. <laughs> I do not want to see fan favorites back again, especially if teams get a third or fourth chance to race again. As much as I love Gary and Mallory, I will sacrifice them at the altar of not having to put up with that bullshit. I think next season will be another gimmicky theme, but it won't involve past players yet. Yeah, I think we'll probably have one season of normality before we go back to the gimmicky seasons, and I think the next one will probably be All Stranger. I'd like to see an All Stranger season, because I think, as this season proved... It's not necessarily a terrible thing to have people not know each other as long as you make it good casting. The strength lies in the cast. If it's a good cast, it'll work. If it's not a good cast, it won't. It'd actually probably be easier for them because they sometimes have a problem with teams where one person's amazing and one person's kind of, eh, in the same way that Survivor Blood vs. Water does. If they love one person on the team, they'll bring the kind of, eh, person as well. And that doesn't always work out. So, thank you very much for joining us. As I mentioned, we'll be back next Sunday to have a little chat with Mike and Michelle and break down their season for them. And after that, we basically hibernate for a couple of weeks with Amazing Race. If you are watching Big Brother Canada, you can catch our final two recaps of the season in the next fortnight. And then we'll be back during the off-season for some more special episodes. Hopefully, Mike and Michelle won't be our only interview. We've got a couple more in the pipeline, hopefully. And then you can join Logan and I in early July to begin our coverage of Amazing Race Canada 3. With Ben. Without Ben. Ben is going to be hibernating in his box like the Blue Peter Tortoise is until September. And refreshed. And if you enjoyed the show, and even if you didn't, please give us a like on YouTube. And if you want to see what we're rambling about this week, as always, our Twitters are in the description down below. Thank you again. Hashtag 250, hashtag Ginger Ninja, hashtag Super Kawaki. Peace. And I'll guess I'll do the bye. Hashtag golden goddess. What?